Take your Bibles, if you would, turn over to the book of Hebrews chapter 5. We're going to continue with our Called to Teach series, and again, we picked that up or started that just a few weeks ago, and uh, of course, next Sunday night is going to be our, our um, uh, we're unveiling our theme, and so our, uh, our vision night is going to be taking place, and so we'll be kind of moving this off to the side again, setting it on the back burner for a week, but I did want to continue tonight with our Called to Teach series as we look at it another element that's necessary and needful if we're going to be effective teachers. Now, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, the Bible says, And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men, who shall be able to teach others also. And, of course, uh, that element of teaching, again, is so important. It's so vital. Now, we turn to Hebrews 5, and we begin in verse 12, and there we begin to read, it says, for, when, for the time ye ought to be teachers. Ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, that become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he's a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. 
Our focus is on that first verse, verse 12, where the Bible says, For when for the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. Now again, as we look at 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, and as we combine it with Hebrews chapter 5, it appears and is very true that believers, all believers, are at some point to be teachers and are teachers. Now again, we're, we have this title called to teach, and someone thinks, well, you know, I'm not a preacher or not even a Sunday school teacher, so for me it's not an issue. It is an issue. We all need to be constantly striving to be better teachers of the truth of the Word of God. We're not uh, sure exactly what circumstance or situation the Lord may place us in where we might be the only one that has the truth and must share it with others. So we need to learn to be effective in our teaching. Again, called to teach affects all of us. It addresses all of us, deals with all of us. And we've noted that the duty of every believer then is to become a teacher at some point. And again, you may not teach a Sunday school class down the road, but you will certainly be teaching someone or something in that realm or somehow in that realm at some point in your life. Whether you're a parent, whether you're uh, maybe on the job or whatever, teaching's important. And uh, I'll tell you, whether you're at the door or whatever you might be doing with family uh, uh, gathering, you need to be effective. You need to be teaching and prepared to teach and to share truth. Teaching doesn't mean standing behind a lectern necessarily and just giving notes. It doesn't mean standing behind a pulpit and preaching necessarily. Uh, Teaching could be sitting in the house around the kitchen table and a question's asked by a child and you need to begin to teach. So, I mean, it's just, I'm just saying, uh, we're looking at this from that perspective. And so, therefore, we all need to be effective teachers. And so, what elements, what uh, characteristics or qualities uh, go into being an effective teacher? And uh, so we began a few weeks ago, and we, we drew our attention to this one thought. We said basically that we must be doctrinally sound. If we're going to be an effective teacher, then we need to be doctrinally sound. And uh, again, uh, we, we said how, you know, we spent a lot of time on that, and we're not going to rehash all of that. But we wanted to be doctrinally sound. And so tonight, I want to kind of pick up there again. I want to continue with our study. And I want to say that if we're going to be effective in this area of teaching, then we also have to be or must be dependent upon God. Not just doctrinally sound, but dependent upon God. And so we're going to have a word of prayer, and then we're going to look at that thought tonight in just these few moments that we have this evening. Father, again, thank you for this time together. We thank you for the opportunity that we have now, Lord, to learn from your word. Again, speak to our hearts through it and help us, Lord, to be inspired and encouraged to be better teachers. Lord, even if we are a new Christian today, even if it's not been long since we've named the name of Christ or recently plugged back into your house, and you, uh, the fact is, Lord, is that we need to strive to be effective in teaching because we've all been called to teach. In one realm or another, one way or another, we are all teachers of the Word of God. Just as witnesses, we are teachers of it. So help us, Lord, to be effective. May we embrace these characteristics and qualities in our own life that we might be able to be effective in teaching others. We'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. So we said again that we must be doctrinally sound if we're going to be effective in teaching. Number two, we must be dependent upon God. Dependent upon God. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5, please. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5, the Apostle Paul, of course, is going to share a statement that's extremely important. When we consider the ministry that he himself had, as well as those that were gathered around him, it's going to be uh, kind of a sobering thought here. He says in 2 Corinthians 3, 5, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God. I mean, when it's really all said and done, isn't this the real breakdown in our lives? 
I mean, we find ourselves becoming self-sufficient instead of God-dependent. And that's a problem. Even, if, even in our Christian circles, we find an air of pomp and arrogance at times. We gloat in our competence or we revel in our accomplishments. We find ourselves scheming, planning, and just organizing to succeed when in reality we ought to be humbled and surrendered and dependent upon the Lord. I'm not saying that it's not important to plan. I mean, if we, it's not that we plan to fail. We fail to plan. And I understand there's a need for organization and structure. Not, not, I'm not dis, uh, dis, you know, uh, you know, saying that's not important. What I am saying, however, is that those cannot take the place of our dependence upon Him. Again, uh, the church is looking for better methods. And we've learned uh, from a man by the name of Ian Bounds that God is looking for better men. He says in one of his books, Ian Bounds made the statement, what the church needs today is not more or better machinery, not new organizations or more and novel methods. She needs men whom the Holy Spirit can use, men of prayer, men mighty in prayer. The Holy Spirit does not flow through methods, but through men. He does not come on machinery, but on men. He does not anoint plans, but Men, uh, men, men of prayer. Prayer, like nothing else, expresses dependence upon God, by the way. The effective teacher finds themselves at the end of their rope, fearful of falling before every single class session. I mean, they're fearful of falling every class session. Man, I've got to have, I mean, I've got to have the power of God. I've got to have the presence of Christ. If I don't, I'm going to fall on my face. It doesn't matter how well prepared they are. It doesn't matter how well equipped you may be or how talented you may, may find yourself. That is not going to get the job done when it comes to teaching the Word of God. See, the greatest fear of an effective teacher is not that they will fail to teach the class. Oh, they can teach the class. But they are going to fail to possess the master. It's not difficult for us to share information, but it is impossible for us to reach the heart. That's something we can't do on our own. God helps those who hope in Him, dependence upon Him and delight in Him. Those are the ones that ultimately will be effective in teaching. Now, you can teach somebody how to tie their shoes, but if you're going to teach somebody how to get tied close to God, you better have the Spirit of God in your life. You know, there's a lot of things we can teach without God. You can teach the Bible without God. But that doesn't mean you'll be effective without it. I mean, we are watching a generation of, of, of churches through the years, these last 40, 50, 60 years, we have watched people proclaiming truth, and we have, we have watched as folks have professed Christ, but we are not seeing change. Not in our generation. That is not something that the, the Bible preacher or teacher can bring about simply because they can do a few cartwheels or manipulate their voice or do something that sounds very professional. I'm telling you, true change in a life will only come through true touch, the true touch of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> and that's something that an effective teacher has to be, <clears throat> excuse me, well aware of. That's why dependence upon God is so important. So the well-rounded or the, 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 the balanced teacher, the, the effective teacher must be dependent upon God. How do you do that? What, what kind of steps does that require? Let me give you three thoughts then in line of that. Number one, they must possess a fear of God. The effective teacher has to, to, has to possess a fear of God. Now, the fear of the Lord is foundational. It's foundational in every life. It's foundational in every believer's life. In Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7, the Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. In Proverbs 9, 10, the Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And knowledge, and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. It's not how much Bible study you have. It's how much you've studied Him. It's about Him. It's a knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. 
The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the holy is understanding. When I think about teaching and I think about someone teaching me, I want somebody who has a little knowledge. Somebody has a little wisdom. You don't get knowledge and wisdom by simply knowing facts. You get it by having a fear of God. And we have lost sight of that many times, even in our own lives. We have so many YouTube videos that teach us how to do everything. We, we've got classes even in the church that teach us how to soul win in, how to teach Sunday school or how to work on a bus and all of those things. But in, when it's all said and done, those aren't the things that will make us effective teachers for God. What will make us effective teachers for God is a knowledge of Him. And that knowledge comes through fear. The fear of God. The fear of the Lord. I left my phone, but I found a wonderful quote. And basically the inference was that simply is that, is that until if a man does not fear God before it's over with, he will not fear man. And that is one reason why we're seeing such a disregard for the laws of our land is because there's no fear of the Lord. <clears throat> That's a real problem. First of all, the fear of the Lord is foundational if we're going to or hope to have any real knowledge, any real wisdom, we must have the fear of the Lord. Not only that, but the fear of the Lord produces a hatred for evil. When we think about the fear of the Lord, we often fail to see it outside of just our relationship to Him, but it actually affects our relationship to everything else around us. In Proverbs Chapter 8, verse 13, the Bible says the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Pride and arrogancy and the evil way and the froward mouth. Do I hate the man, the writer of Proverbs says. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. We say, I've got a fear of God. Do you hate evil? Do I hate evil? It's one thing to talk about fear of God or love of God or respect of God. The question is, do we hate evil? Because that's really the litmus test. If we can embrace evil and we have no problem with sin or no problem with evil, then maybe we don't fear God the way we think. The fear of the Lord tends to extend life. It's interesting. Turn over to Proverbs chapter 10, verse 27. <clears throat> the fear of the Lord tends to extend life. I say tends to because the moment I say it extends life, somebody's going to say, I know somebody feared the Lord and they died early in age. <clears throat> Everybody runs to an exception to the rule. So I decided I would avoid the exception here and say tends to. Because it does tend to. Matter of fact, look what the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 10, verse 27. The fear of the Lord prolongeth days, but the years of the wicked shall be shortened. And it seems to, tends to extend life. Look, if you would, to 1427. We were in 1027. Let's move over four chapters to 1427 now. It says, the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life to depart from the snares of death. Again, the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. Proverbs 22, 4. By humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life. I don't know about you, but it seems like it's pretty beneficial to possess a fear of the Lord. Pretty beneficial. You know what I think it's beneficial for kids to have? A fear of dad and mom. I think it's wonderful. Boy, it prolongs life. It keeps them from playing in the street when they're told not to. It keeps them from riding a bike in the road when they're not supposed to. And the fear of the Lord extends life in a believer's life. The fear of the Lord provides them not only, as it says here, with riches and honor, but also life. I don't know about you, but I want my children to experience riches and honor in life. That sounds good. And God wants you and I to do the same. It begins with the fear of the Lord. 
The fear of the Lord is to be chosen over riches. In Proverbs 15, look there, you're not far from there right now because you're in 14. Chapter 15, verse 16. Boys, American believers, Christians, we need to remind ourselves of this truth. He says, better is little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble therewith. Now, we have a mentality today that finances, a lot of money will solve all problems. And you know what? We, we can say we don't believe that, but we don't act like it. But the Bible's very clear here. It says better is. It doesn't say that you can't have both. Man, hopefully, you know, praise the Lord, man. Bless us with finances, Lord. Please do so. I'm all for it. But he says it's better, better is little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble therewith. You're better off if you have little riches and the fear of the Lord than to have a lot of riches and all the trouble that comes with a lack of fearing God. That's what he's saying. He's not saying you have to have either or. Sometimes we misunderstand what God's trying to say. He's not telling us that he doesn't necessarily want to bless us financially. But what he's saying is, is that before we focus our attention on finances, let's make sure we focus our attention on him. That's all. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. See, true wisdom and knowledge are rooted in the fear of the Lord. A proper view of God, his person and power are absolutely essential if we hope to guide others into the light. Now, I want someone teaching me or I want someone teaching mine who possesses the ability to pass on wisdom and knowledge. That's only made possible if the teacher possesses a fear of the Lord. So before we take our place behind a lectern in Sunday school, we need to ask ourselves, do I fear God the way I should? Because if I fear God, then I will hate evil. And if I hate evil, then I will also strive toward holiness. And as I share and teach these pupils, I will have knowledge and wisdom that comes from that fear. And I need that if I want eternal change in the lives of those that I'm speaking to. It's an easy thing. And I know it can get easy to teach a Sunday school lesson sometimes if you've done it enough. But it's a disservice to God and to those that we're teaching if we're not making sure we're, most, we're as effective as possible. And it begins with a fear of the Lord. Then number two, if we're going to be effective in our teaching, and we are all called to teach somehow, some way, we must possess a faith in God. And you say, that's, I mean, that's obvious. Well, I, I, I'm just saying, I, you, I'm just telling you some necessary characteristics. I didn't say you wouldn't know all of them. I hope you do. I hope you know these. I hope you know them all. But I think sometimes we'd be well served by being reminded. <clears throat> they say repetition is the key to learning. And I think sometimes we need remedial training from time to time to be reminded of areas that maybe we have allowed to slip even. <clears throat> they, possess, they must possess a faith in God. Romans 117. Go ahead and turn there, would you? <clears throat> We're talking about being an effective teacher. I mean, a lot of times we think about being effective as teachers. Well, we need to learn how to use uh, illustrations well. Man, I think that can be tremendously effective. Tremendously. We need to learn how to speak fluidly. Man, that's awesome. We need to know how to outline well. Oh, that's good. We need to know how to, to begin and how to close it out. Oh, man, that's awesome. But if you don't fear the Lord, you ain't got nothing to share. I mean, if you take the Bible, because you don't have any knowledge or wisdom. You have information, but you don't, you're not transferring knowledge and wisdom, biblical truths. Isn't that what we're trying to do? Now, I believe, listen, I'll be honest with you. I have watched this happen in my own family. I have watched, uh, I've watched my kids learn how to lead people to Christ 
and, and learn how to teach Sunday school and learn how to do that. And it has helped them tremendously in the world in which they live. It transfers from here out to there. And I need to tell you, it is amazing how that worked. Didn't intend to do it for that reason, but boy, did it work. Hey, wait a second. There's nothing wrong with that. But we do have to ensure that our focus is on truth and on the word of God, that as a believer, we embrace the things that are most valuable and important to God. And we are to teach, but we're not just to teach, to teach, we are to teach truth, his righteousness, his truth, his word. And if we're going to do that effectively, we must have the fear of the Lord and we must, must possess a faith in God. Now, we're going to get to it because it's important. Romans 1.17, for therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. In 2 Corinthians 5, 7, the Bible says, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Now here's the point. The effective teacher is not marked by education, though. He or she is marked by experience. This is important. I don't know about you, but if I'm going to go to a surgeon and I'm going to have a very delicate surgery done on me, and I walk into the office and the person there says to me, man, I am, I, look, at on my wall there is a certificate that says I graduated from college. I've been through uh, all the, the classes and all the schooling and, and I've done all this and done that. I mean, I'm telling you, I am prepared. I am qualified. They say that I am top notch. I, had, I was top of my class and I'm going to do this surgery on you. And I say, I, I appreciate your education, but let me ask you about your experience. Well, I haven't done any surgeries yet on that, but I am educated up to here. I'm going, see ya, there, I'm out. I'm gone. I'm going to find somebody that's got a little bit of experience, not just education. Now, he's got, to, he's got to, she's got to learn at some point how to do it. I get it. But I almost would rather it be on you and not me. When we talk about possessing faith and teaching and sharing that with others, that, that effective teacher is not only marked by the education that they have, but by experience. See, our faith is expressed in obedience. Look, if you would, over in James chapter 1, verse 22. <clears throat> Again, our faith is expressed in obedience. So as an effective teacher, we have to possess faith in God. But we have to be aware of the fact that that faith is not just an, a head faith. It's a faith that is wrought in action. It's, it's producing something in our life. It's expressed in obedience. James 1.22, But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. In James 2.26, he says, For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. There is a correlation between our faith and our works. If we're not careful, we talk a big faith game. But it's not enough to talk about it because that's just education. We need the experience, and the experience is wrought in obedience. Before I stand before the crowd, I need to have walked in those shoes. I need to have experienced a little bit of life. I need to know what it is to know God, and it's true in your life. Oh, a teacher doesn't need to be so seasoned that they've experienced all of life. You can't teach till you're 40 years of age. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about spiritual seasoning, spiritual maturity. There's an element where they have been saved and they have allowed Christ to work and move in their life. They have taken steps of obedience. They've allowed themselves to be yielded to the Spirit and to walk in faith and in obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's evident in their life. We can see it in their fruit. 
We see it every day. They walk into the church with a smile and they're excited about the things of God. They want to learn about Him. And they are walking in truth and obedience. See, we don't produce what we want, but what we are. And that's why we must exercise the principles we share and not simply express them. An effective teacher must possess a faith in God. We talk about faith in God, biblically, it is expressed through obedience. So, the effective teacher must be living it, is what we're saying. Not simply talking about it. Or expressing it. But exercising it. See, the teacher who only expresses truth but fails to exercise it is like the traveling, uh, the, tr- the travel agent telling you about an anticipated trip and the many wonderful sights and sounds that it'll provide you, but who himself has never been there. Oh, let me tell you, you're going to love it there. It's awesome. The water is bluer than blue. The, 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 the sand is like <clears throat> so fine and it just squeezes between your toes and I mean to tell you when you get there at that all-inclusive man the buffets are out of this world it tastes so good really when did you go I didn't it's wonderful though oh so you've never been there no but I know a lot of people that have and they told me see I don't know about you but That's probably not the person I want telling me how to live the Christian life. Or about Bible truths. I want somebody that's experienced those truths. They may not have experienced everything I've experienced or everything you've experienced, but they've experienced Him. And they with confidence can talk about what God has done in their life. Oh, and again, there's no 20-year-old that's been through what a 60-year-old's been through. But a 20-year-old can certainly attest to the reality of Christ in their life. And the truth of the word of God. Because they've experienced him. They have a faith in him. In Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, the Bible says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him. And he shall direct thy paths. In all thy ways. Not just all thy thoughts. All thy ways. He says in Colossians chapter 2, verse 6 and 7, As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. You know what he's saying? You received him by faith, by grace through faith. You must walk by grace through faith. That's how you walk the Christian life. But you're walking. It's visible. It's evident. You're not walking in your brain. You're walking here in life. And people see you walking by faith. They see you exercising the biblical truths and the word of God firsthand. That's what we need. If we're going to be effective teachers, we need to possess a faith in God. But it's a faith that is an action. It's an action thing. It's not just intellect or education, but experience. And that's what people need. That makes us effective. That makes it real. So, in college, if you want to be a, like my brother, he was an engineer, and he wanted to go teach. They told him, they said, listen, before you can come teach and teach about being an engineer, you have to go be one. He had to have at least two years on the job before he's allowed to go back and teach about being an engineer. Didn't matter how much education he had, they wanted him to have some experience in the field. It makes a difference experiencing it. Do you know one of the big problems in the military sometimes is that we have officer candidate schools, or should we say we have officer training that doesn't include people who've been in the military yet. They go directly from school to leading men into battle. That creates problems sometimes because they have to get experience too before they're really effective. I think the best officer 
is the officer who came in through the enlisted rank and ultimately went into the other side of it and said, now you're a lieutenant, now you're a captain, now you're a major, now you're a colonel, right on up the line. Because they've experienced it. Not only that, but they gain the respect of those that they are leading. Now again, you can do it that other way too, and I've seen some tremendous leaders that never once served as a private in the military. So that's not a, it's not a knock on folks. There's some that can do it, and they do it very well. But some of the best I've seen have done that that way. And I believe biblically that's what God's wanting us to be. He doesn't want any of us to sign on to be an officer before we've been enlisted. You get what I'm saying? We're all soldiers, he says, in the battle. And so he, so to speak, promotes up through. And may I say, teaching is a tremendous responsibility, whether it's in a classroom or whether it's around the kitchen table. Tremendous responsibility. I dare say that, and I'm just going to say this, gentlemen, let me say, you have a tremendous responsibility to teach and train your children and your wife. Oh, well, my wife doesn't need no training. Your wife needs you to be the spiritual leader of your home. You have a responsibility to do that. You should be preparing to be the best teacher you can be at all times. I'm not saying you'll be perfect at it. Maybe you'll never stand in front of a classroom. You'll never stand behind a pulpit. But you will teach and train because that's your role. You're a leader. Man, you have to possess a fear of the Lord. You need to possess faith in God. Every teacher does if they want to be effective. Finally, last, they must possess a fullness of God. If we're going to be effective teachers, we have to possess a fullness of God. <clears throat> in his book again, Power Through Prayer, Ian Bounds makes this observation of modern preaching and Christian work. He says, quote, The great hindrance is in the preacher himself. He does not find within himself the mighty, life-creating forces. There may be no deficiency in his orthodoxy, honesty, cleanness, or earnestness. But somehow, the man, the, the inner man, in his secret place has never broken down or surrendered to God. His inner life is not a great highway for the transmission of God's message, God's power. Somehow, self, not God, rules in the holy of holies. Somewhere, all unconscious to himself, some spiritual mystery conductor has touched his inner being. The divine current has been arrested. His inner being has never felt its thorough spiritual bankruptcy, its utter powerlessness. He has never learned to cry out with an ineffable cry or self-despair and helplessness until God's power and fire came in, or excuse me, and fire come in, fill, purify, and empower Self-esteem, self-ability in some wicked form has defamed and violated the temple which should be held sacred for God. Only crucified preaching can give life. Crucified preaching can only come from a crucified man. And can I say that that's true not only in the pulpit, that's true in the Sunday school class, it's true even in our attempts as human beings to Transfer knowledge, the knowledge of the truth, the word of God, to be teachers, effective teachers. There must be a fullness of God in our life. There must be a yieldedness and a, a willingness to be filled, a, 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 a desire and a, a willingness to crucify flesh. And that is not always easily done. That's a battle. It's a constant warfare. And that's why we're not as effective at it as we'd like to be. Because it is not easy. It's a battle. Again, this truth applies not only to preachers, but to all believers. Mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, Sunday school teacher, Christian worker. 
Do you experience the fullness of God? That's a, that's a loaded question. That's a tough one, isn't it? I mean, the fullness of God. Boy, how many times do I stand condemned on that one? And I wish I could tell you I got the victory on that one, boy. That's a constant battle. We've got to work at it. We cannot assume it just happens because, well, we're Christians. No, we have to choose the fullness by allowing Christ to crucify this old flesh, by dying to self. As we said in Romans chapter 6, turn over to Romans chapter 6. Man, I want to encourage you. I, I, I mean, I know that you guys are the ones that are in Sunday school. I get it. But, man, Sunday school is, 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 is awesome. This passage in Romans, these Romans uh, lessons we've been learning are, are unbelievable. They're wonderful. Look what it says in Romans chapter 6, verse 13. <clears throat> Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. Verse 16. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. Isn't that crazy? I mean, you think about that for a minute. I mean, when the Bible says here in this passage, you know, know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are, to whom ye obey. He tells us to choose. He tells us to yield in verse 13. And then later he says, don't you get it? When you yield to sin, you become sin servant. Sin stands over you like a taskmaster telling you like a puppet on, a, on strings what to do, what to say, and how to do it. You're not in control. Sin's in control. And it's true about righteousness. We yield to truth and to righteousness. Boy, what a difference. Man, the taskmaster of righteousness is much different than that of sin. <laughs> it's not, sin, is, sin is just going to take everything you've got and it's going to wreck and ruin you. It's going to wreck and ruin you. We've got to crucify the flesh. If we're going to be effective teachers, we've got to die to self. We've got to crucify the flesh. We need to allow the Holy Spirit to fill us. We need the fullness of God in our life. That'll make the difference. Any teachers in here ever teach your class? <clears throat> Walk away and think, I wonder if they even got anything. I often wonder, when I do think those things, why would I even think that if I really believed I had the fullness of God? If I, if I was convinced that God was in it, why would I ever walk away and say that? Maybe it's because he's not always in it. Because sometimes we do things in our own flesh and our own strength. Ephesians chapter 3, turn there, would you please? We're almost done. We really are. We have a little tiny conclusion portion. But I want to end this little section, the, we must possess the fullness of God, by reading Ephesians 3, verse 17. <clears throat> he says in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints that uh, what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. And he goes on to speak there. But I love that portion, and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Notice, tonight, you notice he also says that we may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and the length and the depth and the height. Whew. Rooted and grounded in that love. Able to comprehend with all saints. Whew. And that's something. See, this faith that we possess 
as we said already, is not simply lip service, but it dictates our living. It affects every aspect of our life to include our outlook, our attitude, and our behavior. And the fullness of God is a state into which we must reside. We've we got to live in that state. Not just, a, not just visit it from time to time. So we must not only possess a conscious reality of God, but experience His presence and power daily. If we hope to depend on Him without reservation. Boy, we've got to depend on Him. And if we're going to be effective in teaching, we must do that. And, and we do that by possessing a fear of the Lord, by, by possessing a faith in Him, by possessing the fullness of God in our life. That'll make us, I mean, we'll be dependent, man. We're, we're, that, that's evidence of dependence on God. And we'll be effective in our teaching. And so last week we learned that we must be doctrinally sound. This week we note that we must be dependent upon the Lord if we're going to be effective in our teaching. Those are two characteristics, at least, that we must possess. How are you doing on that dependency thing? I, I, I watch folks get older in their lives, and one of the most difficult things as someone gets older and they begin to experience health issues is that they have to start depending on others. That's hard on them. Why is that so hard for people? Why is that so hard? Could it be because our whole lives we have been so self-sufficient, independent? I don't doubt that even someone that's dependent upon the Lord can find themselves feeling that way. But I wonder sometimes if we aren't more independent of God than we think, and that's why we even struggle all the more as we get older and need to be dependent on others because we're not used to being dependent on anybody. I just wonder sometimes about that. Say, well, one's God and one's humanity. I know, but we have learned through the years that God uses people. Man, I, I tell you what, I got a lot of pride just like you do. I don't want somebody helping me. I want to do it myself. The only danger with that is that it might spill into our Christian life with him. We find ourselves saying, I can do this, Lord. Can we? Well, not if we're going to be effective, we can't. Someone says, can you preach without the Lord? Oh, yeah, done it before. Oh, yeah, sure. In one sense, I can do that. Now, I know that he could take my breath away. He could kill me right where I stand right now. I get that. But he doesn't always twist my arm and say, you're not ready yet. You haven't yielded to me like you ought to. You're not filled with the Spirit like you should be, Mark. Don't you get up there and say anything. Sometimes he lets me get up here. That'd be bad, wouldn't it? I don't want that to happen. But has it happened? Oh, yeah. It's happened in Sunday school class, too. That's happened before, too. I wonder if it's ever happened to you. We get around our table and our children come up and ask us a question and we haven't been in prayer like we ought to be and we haven't been in our Bibles like we should and then we start to think we're going to teach them. We're going to teach these little minds. They don't know anything anyway, right? They're so, so you know, innocent. They don't know a whole lot and, and I've been learning the Bible for years in Sunday school. I got this. I, I got it. But no real dependence. Oh, God, give me the words. Give me the grace I need to share with them something's going to truly impact their life and change them forever. Oh, well. You know where I'm going. I want to be effective teachers. I believe in the crowd tonight. we got a group of people that want to be effective in their Christian life. You wouldn't be back tonight if you didn't. Let's make sure that we, more than anyone else then, 
is very, very careful to ensure that we're being dependent on him. Let's include him on every aspect of our life. Let's seek the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Let's exercise our faith. Father, we come to you. We thank you for all you've done for us. And we just ask, Lord, that you would just work in our lives. Lord, we're just mere humans. And there's no doubt, Lord, that at times we fail you. We know this, but Lord, we don't want to. We want to be victorious in our Christian lives. We want to please you with our life and our lips. We, we, we do our best many times, and yet sometimes maybe we don't do as, as best as we could even. There's a part we hold back. Lord, help us, Father, to realize that to be an effective teacher, there, there, we, we're going to have to. We, we just have to possess a fear of God. We have to possess faith in you. And Lord, we're just going to have to experience the fullness of Jesus Christ in our life. Oh, Father, help us tonight. May you just bless us as we seek to honor you with our life and our lips. We'll give to you the glory and the honor. And Lord, if there be any that are without you, Lord, I I know on a Sunday night like this, probably in the crowd, there's, I don't really know that I've seen any visitors tonight, but Lord, somebody still might be lost. Somebody still may not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. I pray if they don't, that, Lord, you'd convict them of their sin and show them their need to trust and receive him before it's eternally too late. May they just step out of the aisle as soon as the music plays, come forward and allow someone to take a Bible and show them the precious word of God and the precious promises of God, your promises. We'll thank you in Christ's name, amen. Let's all stand.